I'm so glad you're here today because today is a very important day in the life of Kingwood Church. Um, we've been praying and working together uh, for, for a long time for this moment. And so today I want to begin a new series called Imagine Kingwood. And I want to share with you um, the vision that we have for our church. In the late 1800s, the, the Wright brothers dreamed of creating a flying machine. <laughs> and 10 years later in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, the first plane, as it were, took off and achieved flight. Henry Ford dreamed of making the uh, a mechanical transportation automobile. He dreamed of making it affordable for the average American family. How many of you drive Fords? Mercury, Lincoln, all right, all that. In 1940, Billy Graham dreamed of filling stadiums with friends and neighbors so that they could come and hear a clear presentation of the salvation message of Jesus Christ. And before he passed, over a billion people on earth did that. When Mother Teresa was 12 years old, she had a dream to become a nun. And she dreamed of serving people. And then later on, she had a dream of helping poor and suffering people, and she did that in Calcutta, one of the worst places on earth. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. shared his dream of a world without races and, uh, racism and hatred and a, a dream of, a, of an equal life for people from no matter what background they came from. If you go way back in human history, Abraham in Genesis, he had a dream to be the father of many nations. But he was old and had never had a child. But we call him today Father Abraham. Moses had a dream that he would move one million people from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Many people have been guided by a dream like a north star that just seems to allow them to cut through all the mush of life. And to be fueled by great passion because somehow inside their soul a dream was stirred up. And as a church, it's time for you and I to dream again. <laughs> it's time for us to dream. It's time for us to talk about what if. It's time for us to see, I wonder what God has in store for the future. That's what time it is. And I invite you to dream with us. To dream about what could be. So today, I want to share, not just today, but this whole month, I want to share the vision that God has given us for Kingwood Church. Now, what is a vision? Well, if you were at the uh, conference room in um, Walmart or Amazon or Google or Apple, a vision may be something that the company hopes to do in the future. Uh, it would be drawn from market research and the best minds and strategy and all of this stuff. But that's not what a vision is to a church. That's what a vision, a vision is to a company. As Christians, you and I don't have the right to dream our own dreams. Because when we knelt at a cross, our dreams died. And we picked up his dreams for our life. If we don't have the right to dream our own dreams as Christians, then we certainly don't have the right to dream our own dreams and put them on a church. Because if you make a church like that, you're going to make a church built in our own image, and it'll have no redemptive power. 
So what is a vision? A vision is a picture of what God is doing. A vision is a picture of what, what God's will will look like when it's happening. So let me just cut through the mush and shorten it. A vision is God's will. Period. That's what it is. It's a picture of what God's will looks like for any particular group of people. Now, I'm not bringing you what my vision for our church is. And maybe you got our email and heard us say, we had 50 leaders in our church working the last two years, praying and discerning and discussing and learning and all of that, trying to discern what God's will is for our church. I'm not bringing to you what those 50 people's vision is for our church. What I'm bringing you today is what those 50 people say they believe God's will is for our church. That's what I'm bringing you today. So what is our vision? Here it is, in a nutshell. Our vision is to become a movement of hope for Shelby County and beyond. Now there's a few words I want to grab in that sentence and just unpack for a minute before we talk about how we might do that. First of all, why Shelby County? Well, Shelby County is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama when you look at what percentage of the population attends church on any given weekend? It's the lowest in our state, 16.8%. Not only is it the lowest in our state, it's below the national average. That's where we live. So Shelby County is filled with good people. Most of the people I know are good. But they're disconnected. They're disengaged spiritually, they're distracted, and oftentimes discouraged because that kind of lifestyle will discourage you. So Shelby County is the mission field that God has given us. Now what happens to Shelby County if we don't do the vision, if we don't become a movement of hope for this county, what happens? It, I, I looked last night, you can see the trends. The percentage of the population in Alabama that attends church on any weekend continues to go down every year. So if we don't become a movement of hope for this community, for this county, then it will continue to grow more unchurched, more distracted, more depressed, more discouraged, and more spiritually disengaged. Is that where you want to live? Is that why God put Kingwood Church in this community so we could just watch it fade away spiritually? So that's why Shelby County. Why a movement? Well, I don't know if you notice, there's a difference in a movement and a crowd. We don't want a crowd, we want a movement. Crowds go to concerts, crowd, crowds go to Alabama and Auburn football games. And they experience, you know, exciting moments, but then they go home. Crowds may even go to church. But crowds are filled with followers and consumers. Movements are mobile. Movements pull in new people. Movements are filled with leaders and it's filled with passion. And a movement is more than a connection. A movement is an alliance of people committed to change the way things are. So that's where we want to be. We want to be a movement. We've been a house of hope. Now it's time for us to mobilize and become a movement of hope. Now... Shelby County movement, why hope? Because it's what we're good at. God made this church good at hope. Let me tell you why. Nearly 90 years ago, before this church was a church, 
There was a young sick lady who lived in this community, and some of her friends and family gathered around her to pray for her. She could not recover. She was not getting better. But they gathered around and had prayer meetings where they'd gather to pray for her and then come again and gather and pray for her. And over time, she fully recovered. But something happened while they were gathered around that young lady praying for her that was so impactful to the people who were praying that they said, I know that we started to pray because, so she would get better, and I know that she's better, but God was doing something in our hearts when we met. Let's keep meeting. That's how this church started. This church started by reaching out to a young lady in this community who needed hope and started giving her hope. The majority of you were not here in our church over 10 years ago. But over 10 years ago, my father-in-law pastored this church 35 years. And in that 35-year tenure, he went through some of the worst things that life has to give you. His wife suffered, and there was a mental nervous breakdown and disease and things that people didn't even know how to diagnose for a while at that time. And this church, was, this church was shaped in the heat of suffering. And in the middle of those years, some of you stood with their family and offered them hope when nobody else could. And as a result, you empowered him to offer you hope. And, and what arose from the heat of that suffering is a message of hope that I don't understand everything that happens to me, but I know that God has a plan and God has a purpose and he's going to work it out. And that's how this church became what it is. Do you, do you think it's a coincidence that after all those years of suffering as his wife passed away and then he married a former drug addict? who was saved in a church in Birmingham and was serving God as a missionary in India? Do you think that stuff's just coincidental? Or do you think God's trying to blast with a foghorn through this church to this community? This is a place of hope. God has a message of hope. Just a, about a year and a half ago, we lost one of our um, dear daughters in the Lord. Jeremy, our youth pastor, worship pastor, his wife went to heaven. And through that family's time of suffering, you never pushed, you never demanded, but you stood with them and you loved them and you encouraged them the best you knew how and you offered hope. And here you are again responding intuitively to the work that God put in your life and in this church. And through my family's years of suffering, you have stood with us, and you've offered me hope, and you've offered my family hope, and you've offered my children hope. And so listen, we know at Kingwood Church, as well as anybody, that life can be hard. We know that life doesn't always make sense but there's one thing that goes deeper than the pain that we share in this life, and it's hope. And if you dig deep enough, 
you'll find it. So to the separated and the rejected and the wounded and the challenged and the discouraged and the broken, we offer a message of hope. That God, in his wisdom, brought Jesus back from the dead on the third day. And if he can resurrect him from the grave, then he can put hope inside each one of us. So how are we going to be a movement of hope? Well, there's four ways, and I'm going to give you one each week. All right, so let's start today. How will we become a movement of hope? We will become a movement of hope by helping people meet God. If you were to travel to Rome, Italy, and go to Vatican City, you would find the Sistine Chapel. And in the top of the Sistine Chapel, there's um, Michelangelo's famous painting that he painted in the ceiling. And the painting is the depiction of God um, creating Adam. It's called the creation of Adam. And, and in the, if you zoom in, you can see there, right in the middle, there's this... Now, we didn't show you the whole thing because it's not... Okay, but we want to show you this part, right? Okay, you, you, you're with me. Okay, you've seen it. Okay, but if you, if you look at just the hands, you can see that this portrait is trying to depict the moment when God created Adam and then touched him. And when God touched Adam, <laughs> he came alive. He came alive. And this is what we mean when we say, meet God. When someone meets God, change happens. Now watch. It do, I'm not talking about salvation. It can be salvation. But it doesn't matter if you're a committed Christian or a committed atheist. When you touch God, change starts to occur. When people meet God, change starts to occur. So we must be a church that helps people meet God. Like we want them to meet you and we want them to meet me. And we want them to meet all the other things. But in the end of the day, without meeting God, there's no life and there's no change. Do you know what God's greatest promise is? Now, now before you, some of you, you'll flash back to vacation Bible school or, you know, Sunday school days, and you'll think I'm preaching heresy. Let me finish before you write me off. What do you think God's greatest promise is? It's not salvation, and it's not heaven, and it's not forgiveness of sins, and it's not eternal life. God's greatest promise is that we can live in His presence. Now, now watch. Forgiveness is how God's presence was restored to us. Eternal life is the amount of time that we'll get to spend in his presence. But it's not the greatest promise. God's presence is his greatest promise. Let me just walk you through a quick Bible study this morning. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they sinned, they were removed from the Garden of Eden and they were removed from God's presence. And then as we journey through the Old Testament, God attached his presence to a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. And everywhere the Ark of the Covenant would go was God's presence. So whether Israel had it or not, that's where God was. Because God wanted to be with his people. He wanted his presence to be with them. And they were actually even led with a fire by night and a cloud by day. And that was his 
presence. And then, as you move through the Old Testament, God instructed his people to build a permanent temple or tabernacle, and inside the holiest room in the building, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, and they rested it there, because that would be a sign to his people that God's presence was with them. Fast forward to the New Testament, God's presence is now moved out of the temple, moved out of the Ark of the Covenant, and moved into the person of Jesus. And he was physically present with them. And one of his names even means that, that we say at Christmas all the time, Emmanuel. God with us. And not long before Jesus left the earth, when he was with those who had walked the closest to him, before he died, he said to them, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. God's presence was with his people. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, a supernatural miracle happened when he died inside the temple where that Ark of the Covenant was stored and the holy place was, and only one priest was allowed to enter it one time a year. When Jesus was dying on the cross, supernaturally that veil was torn from the top because it was so high nobody could reach it. It was torn from the top to the bottom, and that door was open permanently because it was God's way of saying, I want every person on earth to be in my presence. When Jesus walked with his disciples on the earth and he met people, he was with them, he was present with them, but he was human so he could only be with a few people at a time. That wasn't enough for him. So in John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, watch this, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you. Now watch this. What's the next phrase? And will be in you. He's done moved in. <laughs> he doesn't want to live in the next house over. If you're a Christian, the presence of God lives inside you. Well, I'm not even done. 1 Corinthians 3. It gets worse or better. Don't you know that word you is very important that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst that word you is plural it's not singular you are not the temple of the Holy Spirit I'm not the temple of the Spirit we are the temple of the Holy Spirit so when God's people gather together his presence fills us in a way that we're not filled with his presence when we're just by ourselves. because God wants to be present now look Revelation 21, I saw the holy city. This is the end of everything. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people physically. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's presence is his greatest promise. You can live in the presence of God. You don't have to wait till you go to heaven. You can do that right now, every day. Now, you would think that if God's greatest promise is his presence, we'd just be glowing. Like we'd been lit up with a nuclear bomb. We'd just be pouring over with it right 
Well, as I said before, we live in a community of spiritual distraction. Primarily, Christianity is defined, unfortunately, as living the American dream or living your best life or having good morals or consuming spiritual products. But the busy, distracted life and misunderstanding of what Christianity is causes our soul to be ignored. That's what we lose when we don't understand. So who in this community do you think is going to wave the flag and say, Hey, we got this wrong. The inner life is where it's really at. Hey, who's going to say God's presence is the path to experience true life? Who's going to wave that banner? I can tell you who's not going to wave it. They're not going to wave it over at Walmart. They don't even wave anymore. You check yourself out. Right? They're not going to wave it at Amazon. There's no people. It's ran by robots. Nobody at your school is going to ask you, how's your prayer life? Nobody at work is going to say, how are you doing spiritually? Or Go down to the local ball field. Or go to Alabama or Auburn game. They're not going to ask, are you taking good care of your soul? Nobody's going to say, are you living in God's presence? Because you know that's really the most important thing. This is all going to pass away, but the spiritual is really where it's at. See, we have another dimension to ourselves. The spiritual part, it's the most important part. It's eternal. And it will outlast every other part, and it feeds every other part. And if you ignore it, you ignore it to your own peril. I don't think... As I look around the community, I don't think anybody's going to do it. I think the church is actually going to have to do it. What do you think? Who's going to wave a flag and say, the soul matters? Who's going to do it? I think we're going to have to do it. We have to help people live in God's presence. And how do we do that? By helping them meet God. How how can we do that? If you want to take a few notes this morning, let me give you some ways. Number one, we must help people meet God. Let's get real practical, okay? Anybody can have a vision that's exciting, but can you have a vision you can live? We have to help people meet God in devotions. Your relationship with God must absolutely become the most important thing in your life. And without prayer, personal prayer and Bible reading, that will never happen happen it's unsustainable devotions is where you get to know God we surveyed our congregation last um, uh, year late last year and by the way we're way above the national average but who wants to be that if God's will is more who wants to be that so about 50% of our church has devotions zero to two times a week so, so it's our heart then that we might wrap around the encouragement and the tools and the inspiration that every person needs to grow. And by the way, I think our church should always have a percentage of people who don't do their devotions or we're not reaching anybody. Because no, no, nobody just is born into the kingdom and pops out doing devotions. Right? We have to grow. 
That's what our, if you followed our Facebook Live conversation through the 21 days, that's what that whole thing was about. How can we help people have an honest conversation and help people to have a devotional life to grow their personal relationship with Jesus? Our vision starts with your relationship with God. I don't know what else the church is for. We can't be a movement of hope if we don't have hope. Where do you get hope? (laughs) In your devotions. Imagine a church where most people meet with God most days. Would that, wow, that would change some stuff, wouldn't it? Number two, we must help people meet God in worship services. We live in a community, now I'm not making this up, the statistics have told us and I've already told them to you. We live in a community that does not value church services. Because we're the lowest in our state and we're below the national average. So you can cut that any way you want. Here's what it means. We live in a community that does not value church services. Now, it's not about attending. There are plenty of people who just attend church and go through the motions and go home. Many years ago, I had a friend who was a lawyer. who They had had a, a tragic, uh, their, their son had died as a child. And it just, it just rocked the whole family. And he went through many years of grief and depression, and he said, at that time, uh, he, had, he was raised in a certain mainline church, and um, he said, I didn't know what else to do, so I would go and sit on the back row. He said, but it was so, I, can I just use the word that he used? It was just so dead. He said, I would sit on the back row and read a book, and then I'd go home. And he said, but when I came to this church, he said, when I come here and we worship, it's alive. He said, I I meet God. (laughs) And I said, yes, please, that's it. See, that it's not about showing up. It's not about attendance. We don't want to just have church services. We don't want to just have crowded church services. We want to help people meet God when they come. Imagine that Kingwood Church were the place when people leave. They'd say, when I go there, I meet God. What else are we for? The entire reason that we have soak once a month. It's our monthly prayer and worship service to help people meet God. I'll never forget a few years ago, I was in, <clears throat> in Soak, and I saw a young lady praying, and so nobody was, well, the prayer team was busy, so I just went up and said, hey, how, you know, how, how's it going? And, uh, and I looked at her closer, and she was just crying. And I said, um, is there some way I can, I can pray with you? And she said, um, this is the first time I've ever felt God's presence. And I said, well, how long have you been a Christian? She said, six months. Now, that's what our church is for. Our churches exist to help people meet God. It's not just going to stuff. It's about once you get there, did you meet God? Now, you may say, well, what do you mean, did you meet God? I mean, I thought God was always with us. God is always with us. But last week, I was, I I have a friend that I meet with, a dear friend, and I was meeting with this friend, and and, and we were talking about a, um, an area of my life I was struggling in. And my friend said to me, what do you think that God is saying to you? What do you think that God's saying to you about that? I thought, well, okay, if you're going to ask it like that. Let me think. I think God is saying to me 
that I need to trust him with this area too. Hmm. I just want you to see something. Just in case you think I'm already saved and I'm going to heaven, why would I need to meet with God again? Because I've been a pastor all my adult life. And I'm still finding places in my life that I haven't yet met God. And I need to meet him there. And when you meet him there, change begins to occur, which brings me to number three. We must help people meet God in inner healing. We have to form small groups that teach people what our identity in Christ really means. We've got to form healing groups that are a safe place where people over time can invite God's presence to touch their wounds. Here's what I've learned from pastoring. Every problem a person deals with, maybe not always, but almost always, comes from one of three areas. It's either a wound that never healed. It's a false belief that has been accepted as truth. Or it is a loss that has never been grieved. If you can touch those three, you can heal a person. You can bring a person to healing. Just two weeks ago, I was sitting at um, a a meeting with a, a young dad in our church. And he said to me, he said, um, you know, I've been a Christian for years, but I've struggled with anger. Um, and he's done all kind of stuff. And he said it was causing a struggle in my marriage. And, and, and now that I'm a dad of a few kids, you know, I'm not, I'm not being the dad that I want to be. And so he said, so I, I began to seek out a Christian counselor. And there was a breakthrough session that I had. He said, well, well tell me about that. He said, when I was a a little kid, he said, it wasn't even that big a deal, but I had an event sort of where his dad, probably doing the best he could, but lashed out at him in anger and shamed him. And he said, I I went in my room, and I shut the door, and I I was just bottled up. And he said, I think I realize emotionally I never move past that moment. Like when I get angry or I get frustrated or I get stuck, I feel like I'm still on the same emotional level that I was as that kid. So the counselor said to me, I want you to go back in that room, and I want you to invite Jesus into that room. And now Jesus is standing there with you. What would he say to you? Now here's what I want you to see. When that man invited God's presence back into that wound, God began to touch him and to heal him, and things began to change. But it took a meeting with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So we have to help people. There are people all over Shelby County, good people that are stuck, that cannot get past a wound or a loss they've not grieved or a belief that's snuck in and it's not the truth but it's a false belief secrets that are buried deep and emotions that have been packed down and wounds that have been ignored and we've got to help people meet God in that inner place because when they do they begin to heal imagine a church where the pain of wounds are healed where false beliefs are replaced with truth and losses are released in the presence of God number four We must soak everything we do in prayer. 
The most effective way I know to become aware of God's presence is just simply to pray. Because when we pray, we remember. Yes, He's with us always, but we don't always remember that. But when we pray, we remember. And when we pray, we touch His presence. Imagine a church where every ministry team prayed before they served. What if every leader and every assistant in our life group ministry, what if every one of them prayed before every group? Do you think that would make a difference? What if every worship leader, some weeks we have 11 services in our, in our ministry, counting our Hispanic service and our kids service and, you, and all of that. What if every worship leader and every worship team member prayed before they ever stood up and led someone in worship? What if before anyone greeted or handed out coffee or received a child in the nursery, what if that person prayed before they did it? Do you think that would make a difference? What if we committed to never do prayerless ministry again? But we're only going to do it soaked in the presence of God. Do you think that would make a difference? I've done ministry without prayer. (laughs) And I've done it with prayer. We saw that two months ago. In December, we invited the intercessors of our church to connect prayer with the gospel according to Scrooge like we never have. We, we had a prayer team on campus here every night for an hour from, from 8 to 9 o'clock interceding and praying. And you might not even have saw them, but at the end they would come and stand along the back wall of the room and they would be interceding over this room that God would be moving and opening hearts. And you know what? Last year we had 100 people in 2018. We had 100 people that prayed for salvation. This year we had 400. Over 400. Now, so I guess if you scientist type would like to quantify it, prayer makes four times the difference. Right? Prayer makes a difference. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray, God has a plan for his will to be accomplished. Do you know what it is? It's your prayer. His will's not going to happen on, uh, automatically, not on autopilot. We actually have to pray, and when we pray, that's, that's the, the series we did last month. The Lord's Prayer taught us the way God's will is accomplished on earth and in this church and in Shelby County is if we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oswald Chambers said it like this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work, prayer is the greater work. So we've got to pray God's will be done. Number five, last one, we must have dedicated spaces and places for prayer. We've continued to create more spaces. We have 21 days of prayer, we have core prayer every month, we have SOAK, it's prayer and worship service, we have some spaces. We have prayer groups, we have prayer teams, but uh, if you serve at Kingwood, the question I want to ask you is, when does your team pray? If the answer is, I don't know, that's not going to work. Because we're not going to be a movement of hope without prayer. We have to have prayer somewhere in the renovations. We're doing renovations. You're going to see a lot of changes this month and this year in our building. And as we do those renovations, we have to find a dedicated space. I don't know where we're going to find it. I don't know what room it's going to be. But we've got to find some space we can dedicate and say, this is where prayer happens. 
And this is where people come to pray. And this is open. And you can come by and pray when you want to pray. We've got to facilitate people's ability to meet with God. I want to tell you a historical fact, okay? There's never been, there's never been, I want you to hear that. There has never been in the history of the world a great move of God that was not preceded by great prayer. Please show it to me if you find it. There has never been. And so I'm going to go ahead and guess there never will be. So what we have to do is we have to pray. Yodio Full Gospel Tabernacle, the largest church in the world and in world history, about a million people in one church in Seoul, South Korea. They believe in prayer so much, they bought a mountain. They're just, you know, our spare change, we bought a mountain. You know what they call it? The marketing is incredibly brilliant. They call it Prayer Mountain. Isn't that revolutionary? And people go there to pray. And they have little prayer chambers. You can go in and lock yourself in and pray. And they have meeting spaces where you can go and pray as a group. And they have chapel services multiple times a day where people can come in and pray. And you can do retreats there and all of this. And they believe in prayer so much. You cannot become a pastor at their church until you go and serve at Prayer Mountain for one year. Because their theory is, if you don't know how to pray, you ought not to be a pastor. I don't know. It sounds crazy. Just crazy. You ought not to be a pastor if you don't know how to pray. That's, that's their belief. Imagine a movement of people who were so committed to prayer that prayer was like breathing. That's what we want. Imagine a movement of people sensitively carrying the presence of God into the community and into the world. When people meet Jesus, their life changes. Since God's presence is His greatest promise, we have to help people meet God. So today, that's how we're going to end the service. We're just going to worship together. And that's it. So I want to ask you to stand with me because I do have a gift for you. And they're all lined right here. I want to ask, uh, Doris, would you would you come please? And um, I want, I want to ask you to come because we have these in English and we have them in Spanish. What would our church be without the Spanish-speaking people who are part of our congregation. We wouldn't be the same church, would we? And so I, I'm grateful. So we have, um, we have wristbands is what we have. And here's what it says. It says movement of hope. And what I want to do is I want to give you one. And every person on our campus, if you're Spanish-speaking, would you go ahead and begin to come and find Doris here? And uh, she will, she'll begin to give you a wristband in Spanish. So if you're Spanish-speaking, uh, I know we'll have to wait for a minute for our translators to get that through. Um, and then everybody, we're going to have you do this. E-Middle, Kids Ministry, everybody today uh, is going to receive a, a wristband. So uh, why don't we do this? Um, if you guys in the middle aisles here will just come, and anywhere you want, 
the stage is lined with them in the front, if you can see them. Just come on, grab a wristband, and then if you'll curl out and go back to your seat. We'll give everybody a chance. Just come get a wristband. If you've got someone near you who can't walk very well, would you, would you ask them if they'd like for you to get one for them? And would you just get one and, uh, and give it to them? And Doris is here for those of you who, who speak Spanish. Can we get the sides? Would you guys come now on the extreme side? Would you come now? And uh, there's some right here on the stage you can get. And just just grab one and put it on and wear it. When people ask you that, what is that? Well, that's our that's who our church wants to be. Our church wants to be a movement of hope. Now, would, would you guys in this aisle, would you come? And there, you can spread out as far as you want to. They're, they're everywhere. Would you guys come now, please? And you can grab one. Thank you. Is there coming? We, we've got a song we want to sing. I don't know. I hope, I hope you have. But I don't, I don't know if you've met God today or not. But I want to give you that opportunity as we sing this song together. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence today, and we thank you that it was your plan to be present with us. So God, we reach out today and we say, we need your presence. God, let your, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in Shelby County, let your will be done at Kingwood Church, let your will be done in me, my family. God, fill us today with your presence. As the worship team begins to lead, come on, would you just... Would you just reach out and say, God, I need your presence today. I need your presence this morning. I need your presence. I need your presence today. I need your presence today. Come on and just worship him. Lord, we lift you up today. And we ask you, God, give us your presence today. Fill us with your presence this morning. God, I need to meet with you again. I need to meet with you again. You are way, make miracle work. 
Send us out today, and may we be a movement of hope to this city and to this county and to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Next week, part two. Hope you'll join us. God bless you. Have a great day today.